Well, good morning again, grace and peace to you. It is a, a joy to not only see the new members who the Lord has brought into our midst, but a joy to be gathered together here. Um, so greetings, especially if you're a visitor. We're glad you're a part of us in this service today, and uh, greetings to those who are watching and participating through live stream. Little theologians, uh, we are breaking from our series in the book of Mark, and I'd encourage you, if your parents would permit, uh, to draw a picture of a rock, a big rock. And uh, maybe that rock is, is hard to lift. Maybe you need help to lift it. And it can be a pretty rock because it's Mother's Day, so you can draw it nice and pretty for your mothers and show them to it later, but, but a pretty rock. This is Mother's Day, and as Mother's Day, it comes with a range of meaning and reception uh, for the people of God, for us as a covenant family. Uh, we rejoice in the gift that God gives us in life because of our mothers. So we look at Mother's Day as a way of celebrating those whom the Lord used to brought us, bring us into existence. And we celebrate the life that he has brought in our covenant community, all the little ones. We celebrate our mothers here. But we also, as a covenant family, we recognize that we also long together with those who long to be mothers. And we also weep with those as mothers who know the crushing pain of death. As a covenant family, we share with one another the loves, the longings, and also the pain, the weeping together. And as we consider what it means to be part of a covenant family, we are looking this morning at the weightiness of what God's Word tells us about that through Exodus, the Ten Commandments, but particularly the Fifth Commandment, honor your father and your mother. God wants you to hear these words. He wants you to know what it means to be part of a covenant family. He wants you because he loves you. And so turn in your bulletins or turn in your Bibles if you have them open to Exodus chapter 20. I'm going to read the first two verses and then verse 12. Let's listen and hear from God's word together. And God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Would you pray with me? Our gracious Heavenly Father, we praise you that you are a father to your people, that you've drawn near to us through the person and work of your Son. And we'd ask that you'd impress your word, particularly this commandment that you've given to us, to place it on our hearts that we'd learn to not only heed it, but to love it. So lead us now and guide our time by your Spirit's presence. For we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, in the year 1908, a woman by the name of Anna Jarvis was the first to seek to celebrate Mother's Day, at least as we know it in, in the nation, as, as a nation. Anna spent much of her early life 
advocating for Mother's Day because she had a strong desire to honor the mothers in her midst, mostly because of her mother, who is also called Anna Reeves Jarvis. Anne Reeves Jarvis, the, the mother, had labored for many years developing what she would call Mother's Day work camps. And they were camps that were designed or intended to kind of mirror what Titus II is, uh, older mothers and older women helping younger mothers uh, care for their children, to love them well, to nurture and train them, to help shape and form that relationship. Impassioned by her weighty honor for her mother, uh, Anna Jarvis, the daughter, wanted uh, to see this, this idea of mothers being honored in not only the church, but on a national level. And so she petitioned and lobbied for many years for Mother's Day to become a national holiday. And finally, in 1914, President Woodrow Wilson declared Mother's Day a national holiday. Well, it only took a few years of the official Mother's Day for Anna to realize that her intended purpose of honoring one's mother had shifted into a commercialized mess. Florists, card and candy companies began using Mother's Day to make hefty profits, increasing the price of white carnations and leveraging that as a way of, of, of making money rather than honoring the mothers in our nation. And it got so bad that as she saw this, she became, she moved from, she shifted from being the most ardent advocate for Mother's Day to its most ardent opposition. So much so that by 1922, Anna began boycotting Mother's Day, almost suing in 1923 the New York Mother's Day Committee and in 1925, Anna was almost arrested for crashing a Philadelphia Mother's Day event. In 1935, she publicly accused the First Lady of leveraging Mother's Day for fundraising. And in 1944, at the age of 80, Anna Jarvis was so adamantly opposed to Mother's Day that she was committed to a mental hospital. Four years later, she died, penniless from the various legal battles that she waged trying to end Mother's Day. Now, I tell you part of that story or a part of who Anna is because we all know that there are things in our lives, things on a national stage, things on a local stage, things even in our own hearts where something good and something wonderful, something like honoring a mother, or honoring our father, can lead to something that turns very sour quickly. This happens sadly all the time in our hearts and even happens in relationships. Relationships that we long to see and know that ought to be good turn painful. And the best of intentions and even good desires, sadly, can turn very poor. And the most painful hurts we often experience in our lives are the ones to whom we are the closest or ought to be the closest. And it's important for us to realize when we feel that pain and that hurt and we feel that, that where our hearts can often drift, 
that we were made for a covenant community. We were made for something beyond what we often experience. And it wasn't made for hurt or pain. We were made to be delivered to a life made of deep, committed, loving relationships, one that reflect both love and that are filled with honor. That's what God is telling us in this commandment here. That's what he's setting up for us and helping us to understand why he would give us this fifth commandment. And so we're going to look, and in your sermon notes, you'll see a brief outline. We're going to look at three aspects of this. Now, the command to honor your father and mother is so uh, extensive, we don't have time to get into all of it this morning, but we're going to look through three lenses. We're going to look at it as a command that comes by grace. We're going to look at it and see that it's a command that's weighty. And we're going to look and see that the command comes and contains a promise. That's our outline this morning. The first one, a command that comes by grace. Uh, We must consider that how this command comes to us. It doesn't come just simply demanding our allegiance. It comes with a context. If you remember in Exodus chapter 20, God's people have been brought through the wilderness to Mount Sinai, and the Lord has redeemed his people. He's brought them out of of, uh, the land of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. He's brought them and he's bringing them into this covenantal relationship, this relationship where he he declares a special special way of interacting, of loving, of being a part of them. And and, and if you look in verse 2, you can see it this way. He says, I am the Lord your God. He declares not just who he is, but his, his personal name, Yahweh. He's revealing himself to them, and he makes this statement of belonging. I am the Lord your God. You see, God wants these people. He wants you. He wants you to belong to him. He binds himself and his name to the Israelites in this, and he's binding himself to you as his people. That his people would carry forward his name and his reputation and his purposes. Part of those purposes are to build a family, an interconnected family. And so our chief identity in, in coming into this special relationship, into this covenant, is that we belong to him. That's what defines us. And we see that, that, that as he continues in this verse, he describes not just who he is and who we are, he describes what he's done. The Israelites were enslaved to the most powerful army in the ancient world at that time. They were so oppressed that the only thing they could do was cry out. There was uh, no insurrection that they could raise. There was no other army that could help. The only thing they had were their tears for help, and God heard and acted. He stepped into time and history to redeem his people. And and if we were to look at verse 2, we might even be able to read it literally, that he walked you right out of Egypt. He walked you right out of slavery. What did the Israelites do to escape their oppression? Absolutely nothing. It was this act of God's grace, God's choice to love Abraham and his descendants. They simply belonged to a family. And Pharaoh, in his most desperate attempts to stand in opposition to God, are left with nothing. In fact, it leads him to ruin for himself 
and for the other Egyptians. So much so that when the Israelites have even left, he still decides in his hardness of hearts to chase after them. He sends his best tanks, the chariots, after him. And God protects, parts a sea, and the Israelites simply walk right through. Why did God do this? God did this because he was building a family, a covenantal family, one that he's continuing to grow and to build. Because we know that God loves family. He loves relationships. He desires not only to be in a relationship with us, but that we would be in relationship in him together. So much does God love family that much, much beyond that point, God himself would come into this world. God himself would stand amongst the people who were enslaved to sin and death. And through the work of the Lord Jesus, through his perfect obedient life and death on the cross, his resurrection and ascension, his reign as their king, we as his people are protected and brought through from death to life. We're brought in and engrafted into a family. God wants you. He loves you. He wants you to be a part of this covenant. And he brings you in by his grace alone. He knows everything that you've done. He knows everything about you. And he delights to bring you in to his family. As we consider what God has done, it's kind of like consider this illustration. It's a smaller picture of this. But imagine being in a burning building and and imagine that there's a firefighter who rushes in and grabs you and rescues you and and they put you down in safe ground. And I've never been in this situation, I'm not a firefighter, but I could imagine what words that they would want to give you would be something to the effect of, stay here, don't go back. This is the safe ground, this is where life and health is found. Forget about all of the the electronics and the jewelry and the wallet or the keys. Forget about it all. This is the safe, healthy place for you. And it's kind of like as we think about the Ten Commandments, these are similar words. They're words that we receive after what God has already done, what God has declared himself to be to us. But we've received his love and his faithfulness by grace alone, and he brings us into these, command, into these commandments as healthy, wise, life-giving places for us to be. So because of that, these are weighty commandments. This is a command that brings a lot of weight to it. Now remember the rock I mentioned. I asked you to draw This commandment, this fifth commandment, is to honor, which literally means to ascribe weight, to be heavy. To honor something is to consider someone or something with great weighty importance. Something conversely we would say to help us understand what it's not is to treat something lightly as dismissive or not important. This honor is a weight and it's, honest, and it's the same honor that God actually also instructs us to have with him. 
in Proverbs 3, 9, we are to honor the Lord. Same word. And it's, and it's an important command. It's a unique command. It actually starts in a series of, of additional commands that are, that are about the Lord and obedience to the Lord, but are also about how we engage and live rightly, how we love our neighbors together, how we live in this community together. And it's a broad command, and it's a positive command. It's not a prohibition like the other one. Sometimes we think, uh, when we think of God's Ten Commandments, we often go to the, the, the prohibitive ones. You shall not murder, you shall not steal, commit adultery, covet, bear false witness. But in, in this command, it's a positive, it's a call to do something. It's a call to, to live with an attitude and a behavior that's different in the world. And it's a call to, to see that it's a weighty command because sometimes it's hard to understand what honor fully looks like. Something we have to process. And I'd encourage you even today, especially today on Mother's Day this week, just spend some time dwelling on that commandment. Honor your fathers and your mothers. It's a complex command. And it's weighty. It's weighty because it speaks to so many different situations and questions in our lives. And notice that, that God says, and he, ta he, he, he adds on to this command, that it's for fathers and mothers, equal weight, equal respect due to the women who raised us, who are part of the covenant family. We treat them with as much weight as we would our fathers. And this is a weighty command as well, because throughout church history, and even our confession of faith, it teaches us that the Lord intends for this command to not only honor our biological parents, but that honor, that same honor, is due to all who are in authority, all that who are elderly or older than us, civic-leaders, employers, deacons, elders, even pastors. God brings us into this covenantal family and he designs us, he tells us to be in relationship with each other and that this family relationship is important. Part of obedience to the Lord is in fact how we interact with one another, how we're involved in each other's lives. This is why Paul instructs us, why we read from Titus chapter 2. Paul is instructing older men, older women to be involved, younger women to, to, and younger men to listen, see the example set before them. But there's relationship there. There's a family there. And this is hard. This may be particularly harder in this season. So we come out of this season and time of quarantine. It's, it's a joy to see so many in our congregation this morning. It's been hard. We may need to brush up on social skills, perhaps. You can't honor your father and your mother. You can't honor and live in this community of honor without presence, without being involved in one another's lives. We have to consider ways we can engage in these relationships, perhaps renewed intentionally. 
It's also a weighty command, not just because the breadth of the people were called to honor, but it's a weighty command because at times our biological parents or our employers or our leaders, even our elders or pastors, do things that make it hard to honor them. And it's important in those moments for, to understand that when God commands us to honor, it's not because those who are above us are perfect, because we're all sinners, but it's for the sake of the Lord, the one who brought us out of slavery, the one who established us as his people, that we seek to honor those who he's gifted us with. And it's a weighty command, not just because we're sinners and, and we wrestle with how to honor one another, especially when they hurt us, but it's a weighty command because it addresses all of those who are in authority. Those in authority must seek to be honorable. <laughs> we must seek out and, and convey the characteristics as much as we're able of who our Heavenly Father has been to us. We often know that we read and understand what it means to have a Heavenly Father because of our earthly fathers and mothers. And the example that, that we set as, as leaders or as parents, it helps us formulate our understanding not just of authority, but of God Almighty. His goodness, His holiness, His justice, His love and goodness. This is a weighty command, weighty for those who must honor and those who, must, who ought to be honored. And it's part as we think about the, what it means to honor, the Apostle Paul gives us some directions in Ephesians chapter 6. He's directing this to children, actually to little children, the text says. Little children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Children who are here this morning, obey. That is a way you honor your fathers and your mothers. You listen and you respond faithfully. Paul's addressing children. His children are introduced to authority through their parents. They understand special duties that come as children by understanding this command to honor. You know, parents are the ones who teach us not to play in streets, or busy streets at least. It's how we come to learn what is good and safe and right and good in the world. And as we grow, this honor, it's not a synonym for obedience. We're not called to obey all throughout our lives, but we are to have this heaviness, and in some, in some sense, almost a burdenness for those who God has gifted us as parents and as mothers, as fathers, and as leaders. We need to consider well the weight of their words, consider well their attitudes and actions, and even their needs. So what does that look like? Well, again, in every situation, it's hard for us to understand. We actually need a community to help us at times understand what honor might look like. 
But in this, consider these, these thoughts. And we're seeking to honor those whom God has given us, who've placed in authority or placed in, in age and wisdom beyond us. We're to give considerable weight to their counsel. We should notice, we should express gratitude for them, especially when they are living in godliness. We should imitate them in, their, in those graces and and we should speak with great respect always. When they sin, forgive and be gentle with them. In our confession of faith, it even goes so far as submit to them when they correct us and live with a loyalty and in defense of their persons and their authority. Bearing with them in their infirmities and covering them in love. How grateful I am for how my children often cover me with their love. How grateful I am with you as a congregation that often covers me in my many failings with your love. Again, many practical questions on how to honor our fathers and our mothers but we work out these relationships, we work out these, these ethical questions from these principles of what God gives us, seeking to obey God by honoring the relationships that he's given us. They're weighty. This command also comes with a promise. We see this in the second half of this verse, of verse 12. The first thing we even notice about this is that it's, the promise is actually longer than the command itself, at least linguistically, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Now this promise is not our motivation for obedience. We don't honor our parents or our fathers and mothers because we've received something. We honor them because we are delivered into a family. But we need to affirm that it's the Lord who ultimately chooses to prolong our lives. And as Jesus instructs his disciples in John 15, that there is love and life by keeping his commandments. But I believe part of what this promise is reflecting on is what it, lives to, what it means to live the outworkings of living in a healthy covenant family. That there's wisdom from those who've gone before us and when we're we weigh out and honor those who've gone before us. We listen to their experience. We lift, listen to their, their thoughts and uh, what they've endured, the faithfulness by which they've lived. And we understand how we ought to live too. It prolongs our days. You know, my father used to tell all these cautionary stories of dangerous situations in his mind to help me avoid trouble. Uh, when I was younger and wanted a skateboard, uh, he would tell me the story of his friend uh, who, who ruined his ankles on a skateboard. Or when I went to mow grass, he would warn me about the lawnmower blade and the, 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 the blade that sent his friend to the hospital. When I wanted to go to, to, to get a motorcycle, he warned me about the horrible accident his friend was in. Uh, and you know, I, I never met any of these friends, but he sure had, had plenty of them. Well, what were they? These stories are cautionary love tales. They're, they're statements of, of being extra careful, not because he's wanting to deny me of something wonderful, but because he wants to care for me. 
So too, in this covenant family, we listen to one another and we remember to lean on the experience of those who are before us. That's part of what it means to honor is to actually humble ourselves before the Lord and before each other. The weightiness of this proactive command It's challenging for us. It's very easy for us to think of examples of how we might struggle in honor to leaders of our nation or leaders even in our denomination, leaders in our families, even in our church. And and even as we consider this promise and consider the weightiness and consider the grace by which he's called us, part of the challenge and the problem with this command to honor them is that our hearts are prone to dishonor, especially when we disagree, or perhaps when we hear or experience something dishonorable. But the problem isn't with the command itself. The problem is with our hearts, our sinful struggle to love our neighbors. And isn't it powerful that God commands us to consider obedience to him by the way we honor one another So that in those moments of our own failings, our own sin before the Lord, we keep returning back to the Lord Jesus again and again and again. Because we have a faithful Savior who honored his heavenly Father in every possible way. And there wasn't one moment in which Jesus showed dishonor to his Father. And as we've been brought into this covenant family together, we're invited again and again to seek out his forgiveness for our dishonor, for our failings as parents and leaders, because we have a good father who loves and forgives us through his obedient son. Let's pray together. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have called us into this relationship with you. We thank you that you love us that much. We thank you that you've forgiven us in Christ, that you've shown us an example of what it means to honor, even in the midst of such pain, suffering, and sorrow. Lord, we ask that you would help us Help us to honor those to whom you've called to be a part of our lives, that we'd honor the fathers and mothers in our midst, and that you'd help us through that honor to see how we belong to one another. Lead us now, even as we continue to worship you, for we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.